This is episode 168. I'm Tommy Serafinski and this is a conservation and science podcast where we take a deep dive into topics of ecology, conservation and human-wildlife conflict. I strive to bring you diverse perspectives on every environmental story while examining their social and political dimensions. In this episode, we talk about the coexistence with large carnivores in Estonia. Our guest is Helen Arusso, an Estonian nature journalist and the leader of the National Animal Working Group. And in case you don't know, national animal of Estonia is the wolf. So I ask Helen how Estonians manage to develop something that I would consider a gold standard in coexistence with large carnivores and how they managing uh, conflict with those animals, how they managing social acceptance of large carnivores and how they managing population of those animals. So this is episode that comes very timely. Not long ago, I published an episode about the EU proposal of for lowering the protection status of wolves. That was episode 163. And obviously I asked Helen also what she thinks about uh, that proposal in the European Union and that, that conversation will come back to us in the coming weeks. I'm expecting when the European Commission will be voting on it. So if you want to develop a solid opinion on coexistence with large carnivores and uh, protection status of wolves, for example, then you definitely listen to this episode and after that listen to episode 163. And by the way, on this episode, I teased the series of limited run podcasts or limited access podcasts with guests from uh, 163. And these episodes are coming. You just need to wait until I finish editing them. As you may imagine, this is quite a task um, getting, you know, a constant flow of current episodes like this one and also editing the kind of like a five extra episodes. Uh, but they are coming. Uh, I hope they will come before the end of January, early February at the latest. So um, just, you know, thank you for your patience while you're waiting on them. And if you want to help me, you can always buy me a coffee. Buymeacoffee.com slash Outdoors. The link is in the description. Uh, a coffee always helps me because I'm editing those episodes very early in the morning. So you know how it goes. And now, without any further delay, Helen Arusso and coexistence with large carnivores in Estonia. Helen, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Hi. Hi, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's been a long time coming. Yes, we did meet in spring, right? Yes, so, um, it, was, it was April. It was April. Yeah. Listen, I was I was reading in preparation to this episode. And just for the listeners, the, the background um, is that in on the 23rd of April, 2018, Estonia named Wolf their national animal. Wolf is not Estonia's national animal. And... While I was reading about this, I hit a sentence that in 2017, the hunters and board of sheep farmers joined a discussion and agree on the concept 
in order to avoid further splits within society. And I read this and I thought to myself, man, these Estonians have a civilization there, not like those savages in the rest of Europe. And I'm only half joking. I'm only half joking because that sentence tells me two things. Number one, that there was split within the society. And then people decided that this is bad and we need to do something about it. So could you lay out that whole process to us and also tell me like how it was achieved? Were there like any special things done to achieve this consensus or are Estonians just the better people than the rest of us? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the question. It's a long story, but I, I really would like to start with a joke, you know. We have so many um, names for all kinds of animals. We have this animal of the year, and then we have these animals coming from the China culture. This this coming year, I think it's the fire dragon or something. And then uh, we have this coat of arms of Estonia that has three lions on it. So lions have never lived in Estonia, or sometimes we say the free leopards, we even don't know the difference, of course we do. And so the coat of arms came to us with the Baltic Germans, which was the noble ruling class for Estonians in for 600 years. And so uh, we came to the point that, uh, well, we feel ourselves a bit like um, yeah, nature, people, um, yeah, it's kind of a feeling of it. And so we thought that there is a, an animal missing, actually, that represents the forest. This is just one part of the story. The other part is, I think, our Finno-Ugric uh, roots. Um, you know, in Finno-Ugric roots, we have, um, we have to show that um, there are no genders in speaking. And it also means that we separate only living things and not living things. And in, I mean, in our language. So I remember when I was um, trying to learn English when I was a kid, and I came across this thing that animals was animal was named an it, and I didn't understand how it can be an it because uh, it's a living thing. So we have just only one. Uh, <laughs> word for animals and uh, human beings also. So we don't have this he, she, it. So, and it kind of explains also maybe the different view on nature also, that everything is equal, totally equal. It's always been. Um, and sometimes also the stones are among those that are kind of alive. And so um, maybe this background um gives this, um, yeah, the feeling that we are not, we don't share this um, westernized um, um, yeah, feeling. Divide between, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dividing of nature and humans. I think this is the, the, the most deepest layer. But of course, in the 1700 and 1800, also with the Baltic Germans came the idea that the wolf should be shot. It was the war that was really yeah, declared to the wolf in Western society. And I think in England, it was the first country to get rid of wolf. And um, But <laughs> when you read from the old church papers, uh, they say that the Estonian peasants 
were very um they didn't want to kill the wolf and and it never ha- yeah they never succeeded in that so very well but then came the <clears throat> blessed soviet union time and with the real industrialization and you know the very famous sentence that we don't we just take from nature we don't need any uh, i don't know how it's in english uh, giveaways or something we just say and take what we want from the nature and so in 19 um we were occupied in 1940 but um uh, 1954 came out a book which was named destruction of wolves and lynxes and and also for predator birds there was some kind of books and also it was in latvia and lithuania so it was a brief big thing to get rid of all the apex predators because they were making damage to the livestock. Uh, very simple. And and so we have also that layer, but they never got rid of the wolves also in the 50s, really, because we had a very long history to not listening to the rulers uh, Yeah, from the Baltic German times, I think, and then also the new rulers from uh, Russia. And... Um, so the wolf always survived and as long as i know or as good as i know it seems it's true that estonia is the only country at least in eu where all the free apex predators survived somehow of course we did have very little um the numbers were very little of wolves in the 1930s also before the soviets because everybody was very yeah, all the world was becoming very rational suddenly, and we went along somehow. But um, all, the wolf always survived, and we never forgot, which is now important stuff, how to live with this animal. So, uh, but in 1910s, and, and no, no, 2010, some, somewhere like there, we felt that okay, the hatred for wolf is also growing also in Estonia. We saw it uh, all around by our neighbors, also by the Finns, who are our relative, relatives um, through language. And we were thinking, and this is, this is a very bad moment for us, if we also let this hatred for wolf grow and the you know, livestock people who only want to represent their interests, that they get what they want and we get a polarized society. We didn't want that. So a couple of conservationists that were thinking maybe when naming uh, wolf national animal, selecting it, uh, could save, you know, make like a campaign and, and, and save this from the hatred that was really mm, getting a start. Because I remember in 1911, I saw on a photo a car in Estonia. There was a label that um, let's make this island wolf-free. Oh, jeez! Oh, what this is one of the islands of Estonia, and I was I was like really very unhappy about it. So it it was like starting really, and so we came together and um, yeah, mostly nature conservatives. And what we understood is that we can't name a national animal. We have to have a consensus with every stakeholder group. And it will only, we will only succeed if we get hunters and um, 
goat and sheep breeders with us. And of course, it seemed a bit like um, a utopia, but we started um, to talk and then a um, newspaper made also a gallop, or, or, you know, just asking if we had a national animal, what could it be out of the 70 mammals? First game hedgehog. I know English people also love hedgehogs, but we love hedgehogs because it has a, a very special place in our epos and um, like a very wise animal and giving good advice and being very little and very wise. But the second place, wolf got the second place. So, and we knew that wolf is kind of popular also because, uh, yeah, because of the qualities it represents. Living in a pack and the family and keep being like local and then being brave and all that stuff. And then we started talking with, with all those stakeholder groups because can you imagine any election of a national animal that uh, this would cost so much money to make really this relevant? So we went the other way that really talked to all the groups that matter, also the uh, nature tourist groups and people like that. And so when we got these um, sheep farmers along, they said yes. They thought about it and said, well, we are not against the wolf, but if you help us by getting better compensation schemes later, if we work together. So then they agree. <laughs> and I really think the, these people are really my heroes, that they really did it. So you see, the hatred was not deep. Of course, we do have a lot of different people among all the stakeholder groups. We are... Uh, hate hunters that hate wolf. We have uh, people that hate hunters. We have, um, yeah, sheep farmers that hate wolf, and we have also cover stories that give away the impression that ah, oh, wolf haters live here. But this is how media works. They bring up one conflict, and those people usually don't belong to the uh, goat and um, sheep farmers association. So, and so we gave away a bit credit that we will help them to get better compensation schemes. And so the hunters first said yes to wolf, and then they said not no, but they stayed neutral. So we were very, very happy about it that they at least stayed neutral. And so when it was announced in, um, yeah, on the 23rd of April on the, San, the day of St. George, because he also symbolizes something with a wolf. He has a wolf with it, this symbolic language. And there were a lot of sayings about wolves uh, in Estonian heritage, starting with that day or around that day that the St. George is keeping the wolves away from the livestock. So it was kind of you know, old sayings also playing around, playing along with this date. And so... Now we are five years away from this, this situation. So that was really kind of like an idea to save the wolf and, and kind of like a cement its place in Estonia and in Estonian culture, just to, just to stop the, <laughs> any movement that could lead into extirpation of wolves or whatever, just stop it. It's like, no, no, it's a, it's a national animal. So you kind of like caught it early. 
Yeah, because uh, we saw the polarization process, for example, in Finland, or also in other places where we see now where the wolf has come back and who has forgotten how to, people who have forgotten how to live with this very complex animal. So, for example, in Germany, you also see that there are people who really, really love the wolf and wouldn't hurt not one of them. And there are people who really don't want to see any landscape with the wolf. So we we see this is polarizing uh, society, but actually the wolf is uh, <laughs> something so something so wonderful and just a miracle that everybody should come together and think how we could make uh, this uh, thing work that wolf lives here wolf lives everywhere and uh, yeah and here starts the the thing that actually first you really have to understand that this is a, a human uh, wildlife conflict animal one of those number ones that one of the most complex ones. So you can never approach this wolf policy like making only rules like um, conservation rules and saying you have to keep the wolf, you have to uh, get on with that. This is not working. Uh, this is not working, for example, what they are doing in Germany or maybe in other countries in Scandinavia. There are like strict rules. They are not really... Uh, working together with all the stakeholders and understanding how the society is ready for a wolf. So you have to also sacrifice, so to say, some packs of wolves or the numbers of wolves just to get this uh, thing going, really. Because it's not a joke that uh, this was the, I think, the only animal that a real war was declared in France, and at least in France, with the army, they were going after us, after uh, the wolf in the, I think, 17th century, um, because um, wolf is so strong, so smart. So if you don't approach to this uh, animal with a different tools, different set of tools that really combines uh, the best communication and bringing in everybody, so you can't uh, really achieve what you want to achieve, namely that everybody respects the wolf. No, they will hate the wolf in their heart. And if you don't allow to hunt the wolf, then it goes into poaching. And, and then you lose maybe the whole pack. But if you give, give out some of the yeah, permissions to... Um, yeah. Uh, hunt some of the wolves, then you perhaps uh, yeah keep the pack but lose some of the wolves. No, and you touch on so many things. Yeah, you know, sorry. I, I can, no, you're, <laughs> this is great. You can, you know, I just thinking I can take that discussion in, in in any number of 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 directions right now. So maybe uh, you know, I just want to go back to something that you said to me earlier. You know, the realm of solutions, and this is what you said, like the realm of solutions, like guard dogs, compensation schemes, all those things, this is not really full realm of solutions. Because uh, I think that your words were that the hatred of wolves starts when the farmer suddenly in the middle of, of his busy life finds a dead sheep or a dead dead cow. And, and so so I would like you to elaborate on on this aspect of it, of the, you know, why do you think that, oh... You know, the approach of like, oh, we have fencing and compensation and guard dogs 
everything is good to go, we just get on with it. Why this is not the full solution in your view? Yeah, because the compensation schemes or uh, the money that goes for prevention, preventing the, the situation when, when you lose your sheep or goat or whatever, dogs, this is only the material costs, but people are, are psychological beings and they have also immaterial costs, which are much higher sometimes. And the new scheme that really approaches very well to this is the concept of human wildlife um, conflict uh, management that sees that you really understand what a sheep farmer is feeling or also hunter who loses his um, dog, but okay, the dog is lost on the process of hunting, all right, but still the dog is dear to him uh, or to the family, but losing the sheep or your really your own livelihood, this is a cascade of frustration. And uh, usually the first time the wolf comes, then you are shocked and if you get the money, okay. But if you find groups of people who um, get compensation, we have such kind of um, uh, states, countries like Norway, they can get a lot of money for compensated, but they, there are deep, much deeper layers where the hate comes from because they have not been cared for in the long process at the, at the beginning that if you lose the sheep, you need the psychological help. You need help somebody to make the fence somewhere. You have to move the animals. You have to have somebody who take care of the other works that you have to do all the time. And if you know that you perhaps doesn't, perhaps you don't get the money because, um, you know, the valuation scheme says, oh, perhaps it was a dog or a jackal or somebody who is not a threatened species, then you don't get money for that. Not only that, I read about the, the um, a case in Germany where the wolf jump over the fence and kill sheep and they didn't get compensation because they didn't have protection around the fence that the wolf will dig under the fence. So they didn't have that. But they like... It didn't dig under the fence. It just jumped over. Like, no, no, but you're supposed to have this thing and you don't have it. You don't get in compensations. Yeah, that's, that's how you build hatred, really. Because the main idea, oh, okay, I come to this, what is the main idea? But uh, the, some of the countries are very starting and have started to really address this problem that they have like uh, voluntary groups that rush in and help people also when they lose sheep. Also in Germany, they have such groups and in Finland and in Estonia, we don't have it. And we really look up to these countries and would like to know how they do it because it's very, it's vital really, because the hatred really is born in the moment you lose your sheep or animals and you don't know if you're going to get the compensation. And if it's like Estonia, then you get it in one year. Let's say you lose your sheep in January, so the payment is next January. And if you are Latvian, then you get nothing. They have no compensation. So, and we see that that there also the hatred is building up. 
And of course, sometimes you get the compensation, very generous compensation, but still you have hated because it's rooted deep, uh, three layers deep, because, you know, you don't want to deal with it. And why it's so deep? It's because um, the benefits of having an OPEX predator, we all have it, but the cost goes on very little uh, group of people. So they like feel they pay for our wolf um, love. And that's true. And that's like not non-equity. This is in, yeah, it has no equity in this. So there is a very wise book that you uh, and, um, and WWF have done together in 2021. This, this was one of the uh, COVID summers, I read about it. And I've read since, since then, I read it like four times. It, the name is A Future for All. And they, they really address this human wildlife conflict. And they have a lot of animals there. This is not a wolf only. There are elephants and cheetahs. Everyone who is destroying something of human livelihood or killing also people, the Elephants also kill a lot of people in India, for example. And, and how to address this? And they say that if we don't really uh, solve this problem of human-wildlife conflict correctly, then we can't build up a really working conservation um, management at all. And they say that, you know, these 17 sustainable development uh, little icons, they say somehow like, the eight, there are 17, but the, the 18th should be actually human wildlife conflict because it's connected to 15 of the goals directly, what we want. So, and, and they say, I found this book, it, it came out 2021, and the Estonian National Animal was selected uh, 2018, so three years before. And what I read there, it really echoed so well and, and responded so well all the thoughts that we have thought kind of our, our own. But I think, of course, it was in the air. It was not that we invented it. We just made a, a step in this direction. And, and I was so happy to read that that um, they have their uh, a special page on this book. It's really downloadable, uh, free for everybody, and a wonderful cheetah on the cover. And they say they have a call for action for everybody, also for uh, companies and officials and stakeholders and voluntary groups, just really to think through that a conflict animal means that uh, the benefits we get, everybody of us gets the benefits. Oh, it's I'm so proud to say that in Estonia we have the wolf and the bear and the lynx, but we have to think about that only a little group of people really is suffering of it. And one of the deep layers that the hatred or the insecurity comes is that you have always, you have to be on guard always. When does it come? And, you know, who wants to live like being in war? So we have to think through what we really demand of those people and make it as comfortable as, as possible and really as rewarding as possible. We have to think about it really to, uh, it's not about money. Uh, 
it is about money. They must have uh, the security of getting the money. And one of the <clears throat> pitfalls is also the thing that we have now golden jackal in Estonia. And this is not a threatened species. It came itself. It's a new species in the whole history, natural history of Estonia. And now jackal takes such a toll from sheep. And guess what? Everybody is hoping when, who have the sheep that it would be the wolf. Uh, because for the wolf, you get some money. So, but when the door comes or the jackal comes, uh, then you don't get the money. It's not the threatened species. I think that the wolf will also suppress jackal, wouldn't he? Yes, but in, they do. Uh, because this is a smaller canine and they will... They don't tolerate each other. The wolf will kill it. Or, but, but we have such a long coastline. Estonia, Estonia, small, 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 uh, <laughs> like forty-five thousand square meters, thousand. But uh, no, no kilometers. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but our coastline is almost four thousand kilometers. It goes like this. <laughs> so. A golden jackal finds a lot of places where to live and settle itself, and yeah, it kills the sheep there where the wolf doesn't want to be. Yeah, they call, they're colonizing like the entirety of Europe. Helen, listen, you said a very interesting thing that about uh, allowing hunting for wolves and maybe sort of like a sacrificing also few wolves in in order to do that. That is very interesting to me. That goes straight into social sciences um, part of it, and that is an argument that that is often made um, that even if that outtake of animals is not making a huge difference in terms of numbers or in terms of protection of a stock, then it at least gives some sort of the agency to people who can do something about it, you know. And and I read recently that um, when it comes to conflict with bears in France, they are not even allowed to scare the bear when it approaches the flock of sheep. And I read that like what the what a stupid regulation! Like who came out like you cannot even scare that bear scared away. You're just supposed to sit there and watch as it eats your sheep. Like what the heck? So. Could you could you tell us a little bit like how that system works, how this is managed? Because I I presume like this is going squarely into managing of wolf population. So how do you manage wolves in Estonia? Yes, uh, every year about forty percent of the packs are hunted because we have um, we have agreed on a number of packs. We we count also the individuals. Uh, it depends on the season, but we have 2,050 to 400 wolves, sometimes 200 to 300. Yeah, it has grown. But really, we, we count the packs. We have now 35 packs, I think, and this is the uppermost limit that we have agreed on. We have this 10-year um, agreement document, how many wolves we're going to have and how many the society can carry out, so to say, and can tolerate. So um, these uh, these are hunted because um, if you don't hunt, first of all, the wolf will lose um, 
I think in, with time it will lose this feeling of being afraid of humans. It is very important. And the other thing is that um, wolves breed very well. Uh, you could have very quickly a lot of wolves. The third thing is that we have to have hunters who know how to uh, hunt a wolf because sometimes you need to have a hunt, hunt a wolf. Of course, we don't have rabies anymore, but you know, the rabies is not out of the world. So I think uh, it's good when, when we have these wolf hunters also uh, up to some degree. And we have wolf in Appendix 5. We have always had the right to uh, hunt the wolf. And I know that in uh, in many parts of uh, Europe, it's in Appendix 4. You can't actually hunt it very well, only through some licenses, uh, yeah, which are hard to get. And I think Appendix 4 is not good because uh, you can't react uh, very quickly when it's when it's needed, and it makes the hunters kind of kind of out of the game. You know, I think this is the solution of uh, countries that have really not lived together with wolves very long time. So um, there come out very different uh, attitudes in those countries. I remember seeing. I just make a little um, discourse to somewhere else. I remember seeing a film from Czech. Speaking of Czech, yeah, Czech Republic, where they did get wolves, uh, didn't have wolves 200 years in some kind of village. And so they really uh, were so <clears throat> pissed off that the wolves came there that they wrote a letter to their environment, uh, to, to their government. Why did they le <laughs> let wolves in? So... <laughs> As, uh, yeah, I was looking at this is the other end of it. Uh, you know, livestock people uh, having only this livestock uh, thoughts in their head and not thinking like the, the wolf as in a holistic way, like what the wolf means to uh, biodiversity. <laughs> but, but the other end is that you don't give hunters any license and you, you treat them like somebody who wants to hunt really uh, and kill, kill. But hunting is not about killing. Hunting is, uh, I'm not a hunter and I will never be because, yeah, it's just this saying this. It's not your thing. It's not my thing. And um, yeah, sometimes I feel that uh, uh, women who have given birth, you can't be a killer and uh, giving life in the same time. But I really enjoy the food that comes out of the forest. So I'm not, um, yeah, not against hunting. I think it's a part of the culture. It must always be. And in Estonia, we have a special uh, thing about hunters also that we live so close to Russia. So we are really happy that we have 10,000 extra rifles uh, <laughs> in the society, you know. And, and it's good that people are not afraid of rifles and um, know how to use them. And also, now we have made this uh, deal that the number of wolves uh, hunted is uh, put together where all the stakeholders are taking part in the discussion. This is, uh, and also about beers and links, and it's four times a year we come together and everybody gets to say what they have to say and the scientists say as the first. We think, like, for example, this year, 
it was, I think, in the autumn, uh, the end, the beginning of the autumn, that we decided 145, 44 wolves, yeah, must be called because, yeah, we have reached and even, yeah, it's too much of those packs that we have agreed to have in Estonia. And we have also agreed that we know how many packs Estonia could carry as a uh, as a territory with with this forty five thousand kilometers <laughs> square kilometers, uh, maybe forty five packs. But we are not ready for that, and maybe we we won't be. But we know what there could be. So up to now, we try to be with thirty actually, but we are thirty five. So. Uh, Quite a big number of wolves will be culled this year. But this is where the agreement comes together. Of course, the nature conser- conservationists and yeah, the wolf lover in me is not, I'm not happy about the wolves that are hunted. But, but I see that this is the price. Uh, everybody must get something. Uh, otherwise, it goes, poaching goes underground and, and people get will be very hateful and, you know, you, you have to give everybody something. So I think, like, for example, for example, in Germany or somewhere where this wolf is in Appendix 4, they are really not, uh, they are shutting the hunters out and they are shutting very many stakeholders out and just concentrating only on wolf. But you can't do it. Uh, you Nature protection, this is all about, human protection protecting nature against humans there's nothing else so if you can't have a contact with other humans other stakeholders then it will fail and tell me so is it the the call of wolves is it allocated to recreational hunters like any hunter in estonia can have you know go on a wolf hunt provided they have it like how does it work do you have a tag system do you have a like i'm just curious yeah yeah how does that estonian work? hunting is based on this uh, community principle and most of these communities belong to the big Estonian hunter society and then the the 144 wolves uh, yeah these permits they have given out to certain very specific um, regions not every region gets one because the researchers and wolf experts know where uh, they should be yeah, hunted and where they should not be hunted. We have certain regions where they are not touched at all. So sometimes some regions get upset that they, for years they don't get any permission to hunt a wolf. But that's how it works. We, we listen to the uh, wolf experts. And is the hunter from the region that doesn't have a permit can travel to the region that does have a permit and still uh, hunt wolf? Or is it like very... You know, I'm just trying to tease out, like, how strict is it? They want to. Uh, th- I, th- I think they could because you have the license. But uh, would the other one take you in? No, you stay with your own group, I think. That's the the real thing. Because also people from abroad can come, actually, and, and take part. But then it's quite complicated because you have to get to one group that goes because wolf hunting is not going out yourself, right? You go with a group. And so it's possible, but it's a lot of work, I think. But people do that. And also beer hunting. We hunt, I think, one-tenth of beers every year. 
something like that. I think it's a thousand peers right now, and we have agreed as a society this thousand peers is the limit. And so, yeah, about hundred peers, something like that, eighty is haunted. I remember when we when we met in Paris, you were telling me that yeah, you can you can actually buy a, a permit. Uh, to hunt bear, bear and just go in and 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 get a get a bear. Yes, yeah. it's quite it is, expensive. You know, yeah, yeah, but it you know it 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 is fascinating to me like how you folks manage to raise above the divides and and get to the to like to the one point where where you're actually speaking as a nation and and managing the animals as a as a nation. Are there any pressures or cracks in this? beautiful pictures that you painted like are there any groups that are not happy with it you know on both sides of course and you know sometimes they say the shot comes from a corner you don't uh, wait it for so yeah we have some nature extreme conservative people who really don't want to allow any hunting at all and so they have they have gone to the court with this and and it has stirred up a lot of a lot of talk and and they have sued the government for to allowing to hunt the wolves but we uh, we have all like uh, we're very sad about it because usually the the sheep farmers or sheep farmers do something about it you know they they, they say that we want to get rid of wolves but now suddenly come the conservationist people and say we don't have to we, we can't kill any wolf and and this is uh, we didn't expect that at all because we were the one in the middle that really started the whole thing of the national animal and to really rehabilitate the the wolf we we always speak about you know when this uh, famous book uh, silent spring came out and and it was very bad with with eagles with predatory birds and everybody wanted to protect eagles so now the eagles are thriving and we can say that the eagles are rehabilitated but the wolf is still not rehabilitated in in the western world i think and also in estonia it's a way to go it's a way you have to go with all the stakeholder groups but if somebody pops out and uh, points fingers on, uh, I don't know, sheep farmers, uh, you know, the, yeah, then, then it's, it's just, not so it's good. It's just stroking conflict, right? It's just creating conflict. System clearly works. Why would you try to screw it up with something that works? But these are those times that extreme people come out and uh, so we have it all there also, but it has not destroyed the, the willingness of really building up the image of wolf as one of the greatest animals on earth and really suitable to compare yourself with. There are so many your books written about wolf. But you know one funny thing also? <laughs> when I have spoken about the wolf in English, uh, then somebody has come to me, a lot of people have said, don't tell what's the name of the wolf in Estonia. <laughs> Use the older name because we have the name Hunt. And if you see it written Hunt, it means hunt, right? So we can't really believe you that you are for the wolf if you name it hunt. And the, and the story is that 
uh, Estonians have a lot of names uh, coming from the old beliefs that you you shouldn't name the animals if you if you don't want it to be here or if you go to the forest hunting you just don't speak about the same name because they eat wood here and go away it's it works as two ways first of all if you want a an animal uh, you want to hunt a rabbit or something then you shouldn't speak because he hears and goes goes away but if you speak of a wolf he hears and it can come no 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 you shouldn't speak and so we have collected 500 names for wolf, 523 names for wolves. So we said it over and over again using all. And you know, the names, the heritage shows the relationship with the wolf was fantastic from the old Estonian side. Because uh, 90% or more, the names are like really beautiful names, not peorative, not bad names. Like, like asking for him, oh, you little wolf and you beautiful wolf and you the king of the forest and oh, you're so nice and, and I can't translate the names really. Okay. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. No, I like I like by five hundred names of the yeah. wolf that wolf doesn't know about them, no. so they don't know that you talk about him. <laughs> and then suddenly, we our own name for it is Susie. This is the most common name, Susie. But then the Baltic German games, right? And oh, they have a nice name, Hund, for the Hund. The Hund is actually the name for a dog. Yeah, like and, a hound. Yeah, like a hound. And we took it as one of the names just to not speak about the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's the official name and it's so, so funny. We use the, the dog name, uh, German dog name for our wolf, which is like has 500 names, and we have the only name <laughs> that is not our own name. <laughs> it's crazy, really. This is so crazy. And then I have this poster building up, and there is the wolf, um, yeah, on it, and it's read Susie. And yeah, people listening to me asking, why you always speak about Hunt Hunt when you have this right nice name? And yeah. That's how it is. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> yeah, but, but is... yeah, but, the, but for the beer we have uh, hundred names only. So f the the wolf has really only. <laughs> oh, yeah, but the wolf is five hundred. It's crazy. I I couldn't believe it. Really. Oh man, this is really interesting. So listen, Helen. So you are you are. I, I presume you already uh, answered the question. Uh, you know about the e e EU is like pondering on on moving the protection status of wolves from from uh, annex 4 to annex 5 big discussions going on at the moment so i'm guessing that you think it's a it's a good move it's a it's a it's a good decision to do it it's a very it would be very good uh, it's a starting point to speak with all the stakeholders and as john linnell said this uh, uh, big wolf expert that it's not about uh, it's Appendix 4 and Appendix 5 have the same goals, keeping the number, but at the moment, the Appendix 4 hinders to act quickly and, uh, you know, and builds up this immaterial loss, what I was talking about before, that you, have, you are insecure. I see that in Germany, people, they don't even know what's the upper limit, how many wolves should they have to say that now is uh, in the status of least concern. 
that's a that's a that's a good point, right? Because uh, I I I spoke with uh, one of the people um, about this subject, and he says like I always ask the question like so how many wolves is enough wolves? Exactly. And and like ev ev like most of the pro wolf people, let's call it the umbrella term, right? I, it's I I appreciate it's maybe not particularly but let's call it like pro wolf right wolf lovers they have it like they don't have a answer to that other than like oh it's missing from its historic range but then again the concept of historic range doesn't really work especially in europe so like okay so how how many wolves is enough and there's no question to that so i i kind of like it personally well not personally but i'm kind of like getting upset when i hear really respected conservationists and ecologists who who say things like oh we should this and we should that yeah i also think that uh, maybe it would be a good solution to look to look at countries who have had wolf uh, quite a long time or like estonia almost the whole time how we do it because it's working um and not think about that we we make our own rules because first of all if the wolf ha is missing was was not there i mean for 200 years then you really have forgotten how to live with it so please look at the countries who have kept the tradition and you see that they hunt it and they have a different attitude to it so i i would it would be good to listen to little countries at least at once in this matter because usually we have to make everything after the big ones and, and be like the last ones to be civilized. But sometimes being the last one to be civilized is a good thing. Then you bring no, something like, up. Like I said... Like I said, on top of the show, as far as I'm concerned, you're like way more civilized than than <laughs> uh, than the rest of the because like this is like to me this is a measure of civility. Like, hey, there is this rift, you know, starting in a society. Let's do something about it to have a coherent society and save the wolf while we at it. So I uh, like that's the measure of 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 civility. Um, Helen, what advice would you give? to other countries and other places where, like you said, wolf is not present for hundreds of years. People forgot about how to live with wolves. They got comfortable, right? Because I think this is also that element that they, we are very comfortable, you know, talk about UK or Ireland. We don't have to deal with wolf. We don't have the danger in their quotes that the wolf will show up because then someone you know needs to bring wolf which makes it ever so easier to prevent this from happening but even like in the continental europe you know in regions of spain or or italy the conflict is just red hot what advice would you give like what like where to where to start when you're not dealing with people who says like, oh, you know, we have a rift in society, we have a divide and division in society, let's do something about it, where you have people who are the opposed, like, yeah, they just going to drive the wedge into that division in the society for their, you know, own, you know, political or otherwise gain. What advice would you give it? I think, first of all, you have to think about biodiversity. Um, 
in that sense that I have seen that um, in this discussion, biodiversity of different kind is played against each other. For example, um, I start from uh, white, uh, a bit far away. The sheep farmers sometimes say that uh, the biodiversity that is built up by sheep, all this landscape, is equal to the biodiversity built up by the wildlife, the wolf. And they count all the plants there and, and say it's a different kind of biodiversity, but it's as good as the wolf one. And I see it coming. Um, I see it quite a lot that that we we shouldn't ever go to this place that different biodiversities have been played against each other but it is uh, this is a very big problem I've really met very uh, highly educated people who say that biodiversity created with people and by people is as good as this and we shouldn't uh, yeah, prefer and those people there in the north they already have the wolf and they already have the flying squirrel and let's that let them have it uh, i think this is like so wrong because yes uh people can create biodiversity a very good you know managing sheep can be very good for a land but you shouldn't say that it competes with wolf, uh, uh, yeah, landscapes, because um, they say that uh, if there is only one apex predator on the land, and that would be then in the sheep lands, the human, then it's less. It's not good. It should be at least two uh, big predators. If you have humans who is controlling all the antlers and deers and and then having sheep and wants to keep the sheep without fences and and be very yeah comfortable where they have been all the time then they kind of say that we are already good enough as we are also in them this it was very strange that in this czech uh, film about the czech film that i told you about there was also said that <laughs> that uh, the letter, the letter that went to the uh, uh, government, that we have lived here for so many uh, centuries without a wolf, so good, uh, and so it works. And we stand on the heritage of our ancestors, who have lived already with a wolf so long. So, so it works. So as, as if the world works without wolf in so many places. But the reality is that the wolf has survived somewhere else. And we should never think that those couple of hundred of years without wolf should speak for the whole creation time or evolution. So first of all, everybody should work as much as possible to bring back the real wildlife with apex predators everywhere. Of course, there are places... Like in England, there are perhaps not so much room for that. I don't know. But I would say that the wildlife with apex predators is important to have. Then, then you have the nature, really. And, um, and the other advice uh, 
I, I don't think that I'm the one to give advice, but if you're asked like that, I would say that really look uh, under layers of layers of your country's heritage and you will find the respect for wolves. Just keep on looking under, I don't know if you have the heritage, if you can reach to it, but I'm sure that every, every culture had a respect for wolf, everyone. It's just only some of them have lost it and, and think that, at, yeah, the sheep have ruled the landscape for so long, so we can be without the wolf and already our ancestors lived without it. And so that was it. No, no, no. I don't believe it. So my advice would be look at your heritage and you will find respect for wolves and that's, that's, that's really smart words. Helen, yeah. thank you so much for your time. It's been, it's been great. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave me five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This is great help for me and for the podcast. And while you're already there, don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter. The link is in the description of the show. 